Good morning. Turn the mic on. Glad you're with us today. Appreciate our guests, our visitors, and uh, hope that you'll come back. Last couple of Sundays, I preached on some issues. I guess that you would say touch on the area of morality. Whoops. One of these days. Touch on areas of life and its interfacing with morality and what our answer is to be to it. In fact, last Sunday, didn't title it before, but I did after that when I posted it on the internet, Can, we, can Christians Remain Silent in the Face of Evil? Sunday before that, I talked about as it was in the days of Noah, reminding us and hopefully all that there's a day coming. Christ has promised to return. And as people go about their day-to-day life, eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, buying and selling, life just seems to take on its own momentum. And we think that the things that are important will wait because the urgent is always demanding our time. In fact, Charles Swindoll wrote a book and one of the chapters was one of the quotes in that book that he used. And I think maybe it was, I'll use it as a quote because I think he wrote it. It's that the, uh, talks about the tyranny of the urgent. Tyranny of the urgent is that it controls us as well as taking a, and takes our mind off of that thing, those things which are truly important. Then in reflecting upon all of those and what I'd be saying today is that what do we see in our world? We turn on the TV and we hear of wars, we hear of disasters, we hear of crime, we hear of people that are angry, frustrated, some who are broken and downhearted. And they're downhearted and broken because they have no hope. I would say they're angry because they're reacting to something in their world and they have no hope. Jesus said in John chapter 20 that the world would believe based on the Apostles' word, and we'll talk about that momentarily. But we know that as we go about our daily life that things are going to happen. James told us that we need to consider the Savior, consider God. For he said in chapter 4 and verse 13, said, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. That's what life is. That's the idea of the buying and selling, the marrying and giving in marriage. You're going about daily life and just living and pretty soon then you know it's over. Life is short, it is, like a vapor. And then does the world believe? And they see all the confusion politically, socially, religiously. And why why should they believe? We might ask ourselves, how can they believe? I want to talk to you about, about at least three things, three ideas that I think will help us and help the world believe. That first one is what I was talking about in John chapter 17 and verse 20. That's the foundation of it all. And we can find other passages that will support it. But the idea is that Jesus is praying for his disciples. 
praying for himself in the first part of John 17. And in verse 3 he says, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That was the goal that Jesus wanted for us, that we would have eternal life, and that eternal life was knowing Him. I'm so glad that John wrote about it because it fits well with what he said in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13. My little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may know you have eternal life. That you may know. Jesus said, I want them to have it, and here's what it is. And John says, you can know you have it. And that should be encouraging. And the way that we can get eternal life and that we can all be one is through knowing Jesus. And Jesus said in chapter 17 and verse 20, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, that is the apostles who would be carrying the message, but for all those also who believe in me. He's praying for you and me. For all believers But there's one stipulation in this. But for all those who believe in me through their word. The word that would be proclaimed, the message that Jesus gave them. We talked about it in the adult class today, the sending out of the twelve in Mark chapter 6. They didn't take their own message out. They had a message that was given to them. It was probably very similar to John's. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Because that's what they went out doing, telling people, in verse verse 12, they went out and preached that men should repent. That men should change their ways and not live the way they were, but do a 180 degree turnaround and start living for God. It's going to be based on the word of the apostles, the word that Jesus gave to them. Because in Matthew chapter 20, we know Jesus sent them out to make disciples of all the nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have told you. All that I have said. Not what they were saying, but what the message that Jesus would give to them to preach. So much so, it was so important that Paul in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, said, or verse 6 through 9, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. Which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel should have and should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so I say now again, if any man is preaching a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. It's to be an anathema. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ Jesus. Paul is reminding us that the word of the apostles, the words of Christ, are what we are to be following. That's what he wants the Christians to know. Don't be leaving it for some new age gobbledygook. Don't be leaving it for twisted doctrines of men. But follow what God has said. Because that's what we're supposed to be doing. That's what will bring about unity. That's when the world sees unity in Christ, instead of division, the world will start believing. It is as it was in Corinth in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians. And Paul was rebuking the church here because of their division. 
He said in verse 10, I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. He wanted them to be one, knit together as one cloth. I've been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now, I mean this, each one of you saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Christ. That's not what Christ came for. Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? None of those things are true. Christ is one. And the world will be one when the world hears a a message of the Apostle's word clearly, concisely, in all of its splendor, in all of its glory, so they know this is the word of God. They were amazed at the teaching of Jesus, it says several times, especially in the Sermon on the Mount, at the close of it, they were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching as one having authority and not as one of their scribes. They recognized his message as being true. He wasn't trying to gain anything for it for himself, but to give glory and honor to the Father. Part of that message is that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. So all the religions of the world out there, I'm sorry to our friends that want us to be politically correct and say, mine's just as good as yours. And we'll talk about that. I've got a statistic that I came across last week that I'll share with you about why we need to have convictions in our preaching. Because the world is no longer believes as it once did. And it didn't believe completely enough to be united under just Christ and Christ alone. I think we understand it. We don't need to go all the way into the various details of what the Apostles' Word is. But what else is lacking? And that's what I talked about last week. When the world sees us living righteously... The world will believe when they see us united under God's word. The world will believe our message when they see us living righteously. There are moral issues of the day. And I talked about a couple of them in the last couple of weeks. Gay marriage. Abortion. And we could go on. These are not the only ones. The issues. These are just a couple that are on the tip of the iceberg right now. In the minds of public opinion. But there are other moral issues. Some of those moral issues are when you see suffering on TV. When you see riots in a street. People hurting one another. People not respecting authority. There's a breakdown somewhere. There is no respect for life of any kind. There's a big slogan out that's I think it was a hashtag for Twitter users, which I'm not one got enough stuff to keep me busy is black lives matter well of course they matter all lives matter all lives are important to God and therefore should be important to us but we are in such a politically correct world today that when one a democratic challenger to Hillary Clinton Martin O'Malley talked about black lives matter white lives matter all lives matter he was booed on stage Just for suggesting that all lives matter. Brethren, there are moral issues that we have to confront. Now, we may not have a problem and we may proclaim loudly against homosexuality and abortion. But there are other issues that we must live the righteous life. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 17... 
Verse 19 and following says, The deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I'm really glad he put that part in there. Because he wasn't trying to make a categorical list so that people would become pharisaical and say, okay, I'm not doing this, I'm not doing that. And such things like these. And isn't that in a sense what Jesus was saying when he taught in the Sermon on the Mount? You've heard that it was said you should not commit adultery. But I say to you, whosoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery in his heart. I don't know if I said it in a sermon in the last two weeks or if I was talking with a friend of mine about religious issues. I would really like to be able to speak to the Muslim population, especially the virulent ones that want to have Sharia law. They want women to be dressed down from head to toe, fully covered except for this little slit in front of their eyes, as though that will prevent thoughts of adultery. I'm going to say, your religion is weak. Your prophet Muhammad is weak. Because adultery is a matter of the heart, not of the sight. Now, it may be the sight that excites the senses and causes the mind and the heart to drift. But it's still, at its root cause, is a matter of the heart. And if the heart is not touched, I'm sorry. A person can lust for another woman who's dressed in a veil from head to toe. That's what he wants to do. Because it doesn't change his heart. So there are issues among us, and I've only mentioned a few. Paul would mention them in several places. Again, we could go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you no longer walk, just as the Gentiles also walk, in the futility of their mind, darkened their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their hearts, they become callous, giving themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. You didn't live that way, so don't live it. That's beforehand. You're a new creature, Paul would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. A new creature, new in Christ. We don't live that way. Of course, we bring it back to the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5 and verse 20, where Jesus said, Except your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, not enter the kingdom of heaven. Why did he say it about those scribes and Pharisees? Because they were known as the separated ones. They were known as the ones who would meticulously try to understand the law so that they would not violate it. Now, in their trying not to, they would ultimately violate God's will oftentimes. But they would discipline themselves. I mean, I can almost see them going down, and if they saw one, they'd probably turn around just so they wouldn't have to look at her, lest an adulterous thought would come into their mind. If they were really righteous, they would go to the nth degree. He says, your righteousness is better. You know how good these people live, how holy they try to live, how righteously they try to live? You better exceed their righteousness. Now, the problem with theirs is it wasn't from the heart. And that's where ours has to be rooted. It has to be from the heart. Then the world, when they see us living the life of the Messiah that he's called us to live, will say, you know those people start, they're not only telling it, they're living it. People are listening and watching. I was a young Christian. I've been preaching a few times. 
hadn't gone to school yet. I worked in a plant, a dog food plant. There were a lot of guys that were pretty worldly. As such, they had some magazines that I didn't approve of. And on one occasion, because they knew that I refused that sort of stuff, when I got to the plant at midnight, my control room where I observed all that I was supposed to do was just plastered with new photographs. It's kind of hard to miss them, but you don't have to look. I mean, I just went in and just blindly tore them all down and threw them all in the trash. I was set up. They would put pictures in my lunch pail. On one occasion, Kathy found one when I asked her to get my sunglasses out of my lunch pail. And there it was. I complained to the boss that time. And he ordered all the magazines out that day. Well, that didn't go over too well with some of the guys, but I didn't care. You, you can harass me, but when it affects my family, you've taken it to another level. But they knew where I stood on an issue of morality. And then I come to find out, when I was still at the dog food plant, one of the fellows, his wife was a Christian. Her sons, her children were Christians. And that was one of the things that he told her was that he noticed that I didn't do the same things that the other guys did. That I didn't talk the way they did. Vince was not a Christian at this time. That I didn't read the magazines that they were reading. He was watching. Because here's Reed, you know, claiming to be a Christian, preaching, and he would attend with his wife once in a while. He knew me from years gone by. He was watching. He was listening. Praise God, Vince was obeyed the gospel several, several years ago. The world wants to see us living righteously the message of Christ that we pray, proclaim to follow. And then finally, the world will believe when the world hears our proclamation of the gospel. Now you may say that makes perfectly sense. How else would they do it? Of course they'll believe Ed Stetzer wrote an article, he posted it on, some, on a church website of some type. Uh, I'm not certain who he is affiliated with, but that really doesn't matter for what they did. He said, and I believe it was in 2013, Lifeway Research was asked to conduct a study on what Americans actually believe along seven key doctrinal areas in, concerning God, salvation, the church. Now, church will be very broad spread umbrella, okay? The results of the study were published. The Gospel Project's titled The State of American Theology, Knowing Truth, Loving the Church, Reaching Our Neighbors. Here's an, some insights, at least three right now. One in five Americans deny that Jesus is the God-man. That he's God, both God and man. That he's the Son of God and he's the Son, son of man. That he's the God-man. One-third, 33% of Americans think the Father is more holy than the Son. Now what does that say? That says his sacrifice isn't sufficient to save me. If he's not as holy as the Father. That he was subject to human temptations and failings. He sinned. Even though he never sinned. Six in ten Americans deny the personhood of the Holy Spirit. Okay, I can accept God. I can accept Jesus, but this Holy Spirit, no, no, no. He's not out there. He's not part of the Godhead. 
Well, he summarized the statement of one by the name of Ross Duhat. We're a nation of heretics. A nation of heretics. At one time, people would come to churches because we had a common cultural sense of theology and honoring the things of God. That's not true any longer. Here's some more aspects. On the subject of salvation, this study found that the majority of Americans, that it would be 53%, agreed with the doctrine that salvation is found through Christ alone. Well, I'm glad. There are a lot of non-Christians in this survey, I'm assuming, but there are probably some Christians that were in the survey that said no, because 45% agree that there are many ways to get to heaven. You can't have it both ways. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the way. If you want to see God, you must see Jesus. If you want to go to heaven, you must see Jesus and have him, his blood wash away your sins. There is cultural confusion, Stetzer went on to say, about the most urgent of spiritual matters. He says, the truth, of the, the truth is these people need to hear the gospel, the real gospel. Their churches can no longer rely on a cultural context to bring people in the front door. We must engage our neighbors with an intentional presentation of the good news of Jesus Christ. And he says, use words, it's necessary. He wrote an essay, and I have to find that on Christianity Today. It's wrote, preach the gospel, since it's necessary, use words. He based it on a, a misattributed quote to St. Francis of Assisi, probably about the 5th century, although don't quote me on the date, where he's attributed to saying, preach the gospel, use words if necessary. Having the idea of going into all the world and preaching is helpful, but the gospel isn't anything a Christian can live out, practice, or become. The gospel is the historical story of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. 15, chapter 15, verses 1 through 3. We're not looking at people to model them for us. The gospel is not a habit we live out individually or, collect, or culturally or collectively. It is the life, death, and burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is through Jesus whom sin atoned for sinners, that we're reconciled to God through his blood. The hope of the resurrection awaits all those who believe and have been washed by his blood. We live out its implications, Stetzer says, that if we are to make the gospel known, it will be done so through words. Romans chapter 10. I'll find it here in a second. I forgot to mark that one. For Romans chapter 10. Verses 13 and 14. It says, Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in whom they have not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? They've got to hear the message. They have to hear the words of truth, of God's truth, to convict them. And so the preaching of the gospel must be done publicly, privately, from, from house to house, in front of many, in front of a few. And they did it with conviction in the first century. You can read through the book of Acts, chapter 2, starting there. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus of Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. These were the ones that pre, you know, 
50 some days before was saying, His blood be on our hands and our children's hands to Pilate. This man delivered by the predetermined plan, foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in his power. And he continued on to preach the gospel there, proving that Jesus was the Messiah of God. So much so, with so much conviction, so much evidence, written evidence, the prophets that they interrupted his sermon and said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And he told them, Repent, each of you, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. For you will, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to, for you and your children and for all those who are far off, as the many as our Lord God will call to himself. They preached with conviction. And we see that conviction carried on further in Acts chapter 4 with Peter and John having been arrested for healing a man who was lame. They were brought on trial. And it says that they have to preach him, their salvation, and no one else. Verse 12. As they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated, untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. I'm going to ask you a question. Do your friends recognize you as one who walks with Jesus? As having been with Jesus? If they see you living righteously, they'll want to know why. And then you can get into the Word and tell them why. And there's power in the Word. They will know of your conviction. Well, at this time, and you know the story, you've heard it before, they told them, said, well, you, they couldn't deny the miracle had taken place, and they told them to stop speaking. And they said, well, we cannot stop speaking what we've seen and heard. Well, back up. Peter and John answered and said, whether it be right in the sight of God, whether it's right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than God, you be the judge. We cannot stop speaking what we have seen and heard. What happened to the church? Why do we not speak anymore? How are they going here? Preach the gospel. Use words if necessary. I like that. Or use words if necessary. They have to hear. Well, they were released... They reported all that had been done to them. And here is their prayer. And now, Lord, take note of their threats. Grant your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through your holy servant, the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They didn't care about the threats. They just wanted to preach boldly, confidently the message of Christ. And that's what we must do. And then finally, as Paul continued on, and we can take, take notice of his words in 2 Timothy chapter 1. He says, Don't be ashamed, verse 8, Do not be ashamed of the testimony, Timothy, and I put his word name in there. Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or me, his prisoner. Join me in the suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which is granted to us in Jesus, Christ Jesus from all eternity. But it has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. For this reason I suffer these things, but I am not ashamed. I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted him until that day. I know whom I have believed. I am able to 
trust Him, that He's able to guard it. I'm convinced. And when we're convinced of that, what's going to keep us quiet? And so Paul would go on with the next verse. Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. It all comes back to the Apostles' words. Where we started, we'll end. That the world may believe. And how? When we continue to preach the Apostles' words. When we live righteously and the world sees us living the life that we claim to follow. The message of the Savior. And then when we finally start talking to people. I'm so glad that we're doing Muscle and Shovel. Reading the book, handing it out, telling people about it. I think God's going to do some great things here in Central for us here in Yuma as we get into the lives of people publicly, from house to house, saying, here's a book, would you read it and get back with me? But promise me that you'll read it from cover to cover and let's talk about it. And then finally, some of us will get enough courage that we will become like Randall. And to those that we associate with, we will give a slip of paper. I've got something good for you. And we'll just hand them a verse. And they'll see your excitement and they'll know of your conviction and they'll know of your life. And they'll know it's not just a Sunday morning thing. They'll know it's a life thing. But is it a life thing for you? Are you walking with the Savior? Are you on your way to heaven? Are you still looking and considering? Some of you are close. Some have told me that. But you're not there yet. What's holding you back? Life is short. James said, our life is but a vapor. It is but a vapor. It was seven years ago that our son, my son Matthew, took his life. I can't believe it's been seven years. In October will be 37 years since our son Jeremy died of sudden infant death syndrome. That's the reason why I'm preaching today, because I turned to God, not away from Him. God has gotten me through all of that. I couldn't have done it apart from His grace, from His mercy, from His comfort. We have a message the world needs to hear. Are you ready to obey the gospel so your life is in tune with Christ? You're walking, you're... By cleansed by His shed blood. Don't let anything hold you back. Don't wait another day because you may not have another hour. We don't know. Don't wait too long. If you need to obey the gospel, do it today. If you need to get your life right because you've been not living the life we've talked about, do it today. If you need prayers of your brothers and sisters, come and we'll pray with you and for you. Seek God's forgiveness. He will grant it. If you stand subject to the invitation of Jesus, please come to Him. Well, together we stand and while we sing.